You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Good morning. Wonderful to have you here. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Josh. I have the privilege of being on staff here at the church and I'm delighted to be bringing a word this morning for us. This is our final series, final sermon in the Dream Revival series before we move next week on to our vision series. I hope you're excited about that. There are some big things right around the corner for us that John will be sharing next week. So let me encourage you both morning and evening, make sure you join us. It's going to be fantastic. Um, How many of you know that God is moving amongst us in this season? And we can see it, uh, we can perceive it, and uh, you know, I've but part of my role, I have the privilege of just hearing lots of stories of what God is up to all over the place. And it's just amazing. There are really too many to share. I just got a couple. Um, last week, for those of you that were here with John McGinley, uh, he, he did this exercise. He was teaching us really how to share our faith in a simple way. Everyone got their phones out and sent a quick message. You won't believe the number of people that were surprised and astonished by the responses they get. Did anyone get a message back? They were like, that is so encouraging. We heard so many stories. One uh, story that was told me, they said this, I messaged a family member who I thought would be completely antagonistic to the gospel. I thought they would say, go away. And they respond saying, thank you so much. They were so open. They needed that and needed prayer. Um, I heard the story of a woman last week who came forward for healing for a lump in her throat. She'd seen a a GP and there had been nothing, no diagnosis, couldn't discern anything. But she knew that there was something going on that was not right, came forward and she was prayed for by another lady in our church and the person praying discerned with spiritual ears that this might be a spiritual issue and sensed that it was something connected to maybe some oppression or some anxiety, prayed for that instead of the physical thing and uh, there was instant relief. That was awesome. And I love that there's a a spiritual problem sometimes comes with a physical reality and we need to be open to whatever God might want to do. I love that. Um, I heard a lady last week who was experiencing the the presence of God such a powerful way during the ministry time, Uh, but she was a little bit nervous about coming to the front and she said, made a deal with God. I don't know if you've ever done this. If someone on the stage, she said, says the word toe, then uh, I'm coming forward. But if no one does, then I'm staying here, God. And so then I, like a crazy person, say, I think someone's got an issue with their little toe and she has to come forward. And um, God meets with her in a profound way. And many, many, many more stories of God moving and healing and bringing deliverance and freedom. And how many of you know that um, he's going to do the same today? I have an expectation and an anticipation that because we are here and because God is here, more importantly, that anything is possible. And so let us lean in and be ready for all that God might have for us. <coughs> You'll have to excuse my coughing. I'm coming out of a, a bad cold, my sniffling. Um, so I want to ask a question for every single one of us today as we finish this series, Dream Revival. And the question is this, are you ready for revival? Yes. Yeah. Mm, wow. The enthusiasm. <laughs> Unexpected. Are you ready? That's good. Are you ready for revival? Are you ready for a move of God? I've been reading over the weekend 
Um, in the States, there is the, the rumblings, what looks like the beginning of a revival at Ashbury um, University. Maybe some of you have been following that on Twitter. And uh, that place, that university has been kind of the eye of the storm, a hotbed of revivals over the years, most recently in 1970, and a move of God swept across the States. But university students gathered for chapel. <coughs> And it was an ordinary Wednesday morning, a one-hour chapel meeting. The long and short of it is that God invaded the room. The power and the presence of God filled the place and began something extraordinary. And a one-hour regular chapel meeting turned into a two-hour meeting, turned into a 12-hour meeting, a 40-hour meeting, a 70-hour meeting. As far as I'm aware, it's still happening now, five days later. What began as an ordinary moment was enveloped into heaven's story. The power and the presence descended in that place and people's diaries became irrelevant. Their plans disrupted, their sins were confessed. Worship became continuous, prayer unceasing. People caught wind, began to join and bring their friends who get saved in the presence of God. By all accounts over there, God is doing something stunning. And my question is, are we ready for whatever he might wanna do here? amongst us because it will look different than what God is doing all across the world are we positioned and postured for what God might have for us for heaven to invade earth for church to be revived and the city renewed and I was praying and preparing this message I felt like God give a couple of Bible passages prophetically for our community in this time as we move forward into the rest of the year which I think communicate (coughs) what God might have to say to us. Now both the stories are in two kings. I'm not going to read them. I'm going to put, unpack something else from Matthew chapter 8. So if you've got a Bible, jump there. But these stories in two kings, both are about the prophet Elisha. I love Elisha. And the first is in two kings four. And I'm going to be really unpacking this tonight in, in a kind of another standalone talk called the recipe for revival but this morning uh, I just want to give a sense of what I feel God is saying. Um, this is the story of a widow. And the widow owed money that she didn't have. She was in the place of desperation, which is one of the key ingredients for revival. Uh, She was at the end of herself. Her two sons were on the verge of going to slavery to pay off the debt. And she goes to Elisha to help. And she says, and Elisha says to her, okay, well, what do you have in your house? And she says, I've just got a jar of oil. And Elisha says, that'll do. Take the jar, go to your neighbors and gather as many empty jars as you can. And I want you to begin to pour the oil that you have. And she did. And what happened was the oil multiplied and filled the jars that she had. (coughs) And when she ran out of jars, the oil stopped. And then she took the oil and began to pay off her debts. It was a beautiful miracle. When I was reading it, I felt like God whispered this question. What would have happened if there were more jars? The oil stopped when the widow ran out of jars. What would happen if she had more jars for God to fill? And then um, a few chapters later in 2 Kings chapter 13, Elisha is now on his deathbed and the people of God are under attack. The king comes to Elisha and again in a place of desperation begs for help. And Elisha says this kind of weird prophetic thing. He says, I want you to take a bow and an arrow. So Elisha does. 
And he says, I want you to shoot a shot out of the east window, a prophetic shot. And as he does this, the king does this, Elisha gives a prophetic word. And he says, uh, this is the Lord's arrow of victory. Then Elisha says, I want you to take a bunch of arrows and I want you to strike the ground. So the king does. The king strikes the ground three times and then stops. And this weird thing happens. Elisha begins to get angry at the king. He says, why did you stop? I didn't tell you to stop. Because you only struck the ground three times, you, you'll only have three victories, but you could have seen God more had you carried on. The question again is, what if the king has struck the ground more? And, and my sense is that these two stories are a prophetic picture of what it looks like to steward a move of God, to be ready for revival. Because in both of these stories, the limit on God moving were the actions of the people. The limit on God moving were the actions of the people. God could only fill the jars that were given to him to fill. God responded to the level of faith in the heart of the king. Church, seems to me that whilst we are often waiting on God, for move, God to move, God is in fact waiting on us to move. God is waiting on us to step out the boat, to walk in our authority, to claim the victories that he's already won for us, to get the jars out and say, God, we're here, we're ready. Would you come and fill your church? Oftentimes we sing about wanting more of God, but the reality is I think God just wants more of us. Are we ready for revival? So if you want a title for this message, it's this, Disruptive Revival. <coughs> How many of you know that revival, if it came, is deeply disruptive and will cost us everything? Do we want it? Are we ready for it? Matthew chapter 8. If you could turn there, if you've got a Bible, don't forget we've got a big stash of Bibles at the back that you are more than welcome to borrow. Matthew chapter 8. I want to draw a few lessons of what it looks like to be not ready for revival. And then we'll pray for one another. We're going to start in verse 18, and I'll just unpack a couple of passages from Matthew 8. We've got Matthew uh, 8, verse 18. Are we there? Words on the screen as well, if you didn't bring a Bible. It says this, When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests. Nest, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. These are verses and words from Jesus that you don't stick on your fridge. <laughs> We're in a moment in the life of Jesus where Jesus is declaring and demonstrating the kingdom of God, expressing the power of the age to come into our broken reality. And he's inviting people to join him. He's just spent time in the preceding verses casting out demons and healing many, many people. And the, the people around him are compelled by him. They are fascinated by Jesus and they want to be part of what Jesus is doing on the earth. They want to be part of the revival that is happening. And in these verses, we see two people approach Jesus and basically say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want you to become my rabbi, which is to say, I want to walk with you and learn from you. And uh, ultimately, Jesus, do what you do. In other words, I want to participate in revival. I want to be used by God. 
Now Jesus gives two responses to these guys, which on the face of it look a little bit confrontative, even discouraging. The first one he says is this, foxes have dens. We can have the passage back up, please. Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What's he saying? I think he's saying this, if you want to participate in revival, it is sure to cost you your comfortable life. When you say yes to Jesus, when we say yes to Jesus, it really means saying yes to God, doing whatever he wants with us, taking us wherever he wants us, taking whatever he wants from us. Jesus is saying to the man that following him that participating in revival has the capacity to cost you everything. But it is more stunning and more beautiful than everything you possibly have as it is. But Jesus is also saying that participating in revival uh, can be cut off by our propensity to cling to our comfortable lives. Revival will be deeply disruptive to us. It will cost you your nice Instagram page. It will cost you your security and often your finances and maybe even some parts of the world your safety. Are we willing to let revival cost us? Secondly, a guy says, <coughs> I need to go and bury my father. Can you wait, Jesus? And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. Just follow me. Now, what Jesus is not doing is putting a blanket ban on funerals. But he's making the spiritual point that there will always be another excuse to a life of surrender. Jesus is saying, if you want this, if you want a move of God, if you want revival, if you want to follow me, if you want to participate in what I'm doing on the earth, I have to be number one. There will always be another, can you just wait, Jesus, for me to get something sorted in life or get this far or, or I'll give when I get this amount in my bank or I'll share my faith when this happens. Uh, that I, Jesus saying, I have to be the one thing that you are giving your life for, the most important thing, the most beautiful thing. No distractions, no excuses. Follow me, get all in. And church, he's saying that to us today. Many of us will say, God, I want what you have for us. I want revival. I want this and that. And Jesus might say, well, come on then. And we might say, well, can you just wait a minute? I'm not quite ready. I'm not ready to give it all. I'm not ready to lay it all down for you, Lord Jesus. I'm not ready for it to cost me. If you read the New Testament, you'll see Jesus time and time again calling people to a radical life of surrender. Matthew 6, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom. Seek first. It has to be first. Revelation 2, Jesus says to the churches, come back to your first love. You've forsaken your first love. Luke 9, Jesus says, anyone that puts their hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for use in the kingdom of God. Matthew 16, Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you have to every day carry a cross. <coughs> in other words, die to yourself. Die to yourself every day. Matthew 7, Jesus says, narrow is the road that leads to life. Matthew 19, how about this? If you want to follow me, sell everything you've got. Again, he's not advocating for everyone to give everything that they have away. But he's, he's finding the treasure in people's hearts and saying, are you willing to lay that down for the sake of me and my kingdom? Here is the point, church. Jesus doesn't share the throne. 
in a world of compromise, in a church of compromise, may we be a community sold out for Jesus. When we place Jesus fully on the throne, we see his rule, his kingdom coming and demonstrated in greater measure. John Wesley was used by God to bring a revival in the church and the world in the 18th century. And you want to know why God used John Wesley to do that? Well, let me read you one of his prayers, powerful prayer. It says this, I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Place me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be put to work for you or set aside for you. Praised for you or criticized for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. And now, O wonderful and holy God, creator, redeemer, sustainer, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be made in heaven. Amen. It's a stunning picture, stunning prayer of what it means to lay all of ourselves on the altar and say, Jesus, you have everything. And when the church lives like that, revival is the logical outcome. So Jesus says, if you want to follow me, it will cost you everything. And then Jesus begins in the (coughs) passage after to show the disciples what it means. Uh, Jesus takes his disciples onto a boat and into a storm, almost like he's testing them. And then he arrives at the other side and Jesus encounters two men who are demon-possessed. We're going to read a story about demon possession. If you're new to church, welcome to church. We don't do this every week, but it's a good one. And I want to just, uh, I think it's something profound for us to learn about uh, what happens next. Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. Let me read. When he arrived at the other side in the region of Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Now, I want you to picture the scene. Jesus and his disciples arrive on land after a pretty difficult boat scene. And they discover that a spiritual darkness has gripped a community. We have these two men who are possessed by unclean, evil spirits. They live in a graveyard, right? And the power is so real that the entire community lives in fear of this location. This is like a horror movie, okay? There are two guys, are you with me? Possessed by demons, living in a graveyard, and no one can go close because they're so terrified. There is a spiritual darkness over the whole community, They were so violent, no one could pass near. Now, verse 30, some distance from them, a large herd of pigs were feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. So there's a large herd of pigs feeding over the way. This tells us that we're in Gentile country because Jewish people didn't eat pigs. But it also tells us that this (coughs) herd of pigs would have represented someone's livelihood. Most likely a family farm. This would have been the means for someone, or the communities maybe, financial earnings. These were owned pigs. These were farmed pigs. I asked my wife, who's an accountant, who's previously worked at a pig slaughterhouse. What a great job. And she said these pigs would have been called biological assets. 
just a fun fact. Belonging most likely to a family farm, the main source of income. And the demons, the men say, put us in the pig. So Jesus says, go. This is the first word that Jesus speaks in this interaction with the demons. He's been silent so far. So the demons came out and went into the pigs. And the whole herd of owned, farmed pigs, livelihood, remember that, they rush down the steep bank into the lake and they die in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off. They went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed man. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. Now, if you were to pause the story there, I wonder what you would have imagined the town's response to Jesus would have been. We've seen in in the moment the clashing of the kingdoms of God, the kingdom of good and the kingdom of evil coming together. Jesus rules and reigns over. The demons are cast out. Freedom comes to the area. How would people have responded to Jesus? I would have thought they would have said, Jesus, you've set us free. You've set these two men free. Look at them sat there in their right minds. Uh, We've just seen revival come. There are two men oppressed by a dark spiritual evil, tormenting our town with fear. That's terrifying. Jesus sets them free. He sets the whole community free. Some would argue he even sets the pigs free. Revival has come to this town. The kingdom has broken in. And what happens next? When they saw Jesus, they pleaded with him to leave their region. They were not ready for revival. They were not ready. Jesus sets two guys free from evil and people wanted Jesus to leave. Jesus delivered the community into freedom. (coughs) They wanted him to leave. The kingdom of God has come close and yet this revival moment was so disruptive to the status quo that they begged Jesus to leave. Go, Jesus, we can't handle this. We can't cope with the change. We can't cope with the loss of income. We can't cope with the mess and the cleanup. We'd rather live under the dominion of evil than experience revival. We'd rather live with the comfort of the status quo than all that God has for us. Church, how many of you know that a move of God is deeply uncomfortable? and costly and disruptive to our lives. Remember at the start of this series, John Clark, our senior pastor, had a dream about the cost of revival and he said it's going to cost us everything. Guys, some people are willing to send Jesus away because the cost is so high. May that never be us. Some Christians would rather have kept the pigs than have their community led into life. Some Christians live with a do not disturb sign hung around their neck. Say, Jesus, I want you to be my saviour, but not really my Lord. We all want to be saved from our mess, don't we, and our sin and our brokenness. We want to be saved, but when we say, Jesus, your Lord, that means every bit of our lives is submitted under his lordship. That is the challenging part. So let me ask you another question. What is disrupting your life today? Where is God calling you to count the cost? and die to yourself. I want to humbly suggest that if there is nothing disrupting your life now, causing you to lay down your time or your money or your aspiration for something greater, it is possible that a move of God is being resisted in your life. It's possible the Spirit of God is being quenched. We want to be a church where to follow the famous quote, the disturbed are comforted and the comfortable are disturbed. 
where anything can happen because we are sold out for king and kingdom where everything we have is laid before him. And I believe that everything we've seen, guys, up to this point is just a foretaste, a foreshadowing of things to come. And if we want to be ready for the future, ready for a next level of growth in our community, we've got to be ready for things to change. We've got to be ready to give Jesus everything, to surrender our lives afresh. Are we ready for our church to change? Are we ready to count the cost for revival in prayer and faith and finances and tears and time and spiritual attack? Are we ready for the disruption? Are we ready for our church to get messy? (coughs) Are we ready for someone new to sit next to us and us have to step outside of our comfort zone and welcome them? Are we ready to see someone new in our cafe and no one's speaking to them, so we're going to walk across the room and break out of our comfort zone? Are we ready for someone new to sit in our seat that we hold on to? Are we ready for our church to stop smelling so nicely because the streets on a Sunday are emptied of the homeless community because they have experienced something of the welcome and love of the kingdom here. Our church smells too good. Are we ready? One of my favorite stories of John Wimber um, is when he was, God was moving in the church that he was part of. I believe it was a Quaker church and there was a, a renewal, revival. He began leading lots and lots of people to Jesus. The church was growing and John Wimber founded the vineyard for those of you that don't know. There was lots of young people, messy people, complicated people, hungry people. And one day there was a, a lady who'd been in the church for a long, long time and she went up to John and she, she began just giving him abuse and crying and getting so angry and tears flooding down her face. She said, John, you've ruined my church. You've ruined my church. God, are we ready for, guys, are we ready for God to ruin our church? Are we ready for the comfort we have in these moments and this to be blown open because God is doing something stunning? Are we ready to be disruptive? Are we ready to count the cost for revival? Are we ready for a move of God? May we not be like that community who begin to see the workings of revival and say, Jesus, we're not ready. When that happens, movements become museums and the Spirit of God is quenched. But if we are a church and a people who on our knees and on our faces say, God, we are here with everything. Everything we have is yours. Everything we have is for you. Come and have your way. We are going to pray and press in and pursue you and seek first the kingdom and hold nothing back and confess our sins and live life sold out for you. I believe revival is the logical outcome for that. Why do you stand? Thank you for listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church. Go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.